Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Legacy of Rage. The man with the lack of Cantonese, and according to some, acting ability. But the man who is present for classic Hong Kong cinema, Michael Wong, has built his image over the years, uh, hitting it big in particular as an SDU officer in the 90s before finding the airways of love. In this series where we take a look at the se- uh, at a series of movies from a particular actor and examining and perhaps re-examining our views on said actor, it's all Michael Wong for nine movie reviews. And admittedly, compared to George Lamb and Alan Tam, I already like Michael, so this may just be one big love fest. But <laughs> I don't do cynicism very well, as a matter of fact, I know I like uh, George Lamb and another time they contact, blah, 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 blah. but in reality, I don't do cynicism very well, so I don't mind a love first. This is okay. So, uh, for the opening episode, though, we'll be taking a look at a movie where his uh, co star got the most attention uh, because he was the son of Bruce Lee. And that is Brandon Lee, who made his uh, Hong Kong action debut and his one and only Hong Kong movie in uh, 1986's uh, Legacy of Rage, directed by Ronnie Yu. And uh, my name is Kenny Beer, and uh, I managed to drag Phil G back into a series of this kind again. But as you all know, he's committed, and he's always uh, ready to break or hail a particular actor, because we have the power in real life. Our determination, whether Michael Wong is wrong or wrong, so wrong, gets put into the into the record books and will be applied to real life when this C-grade podcast series is done. So that's the sort of real-life ramifications that this series has. Is it wrong or wrong? Look at the books and you'll find uh, pictures of us, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> welcome, Phil G. Hey, it's good to be back. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I, I, I know it was one of those we ummed and ahed over because... You know, Michael Wong, you, you have got a little bit of love for Michael. I know you have. I've got a lot of um, love for I'm Michael. But I'm just going purely in on um, Michael Wong, you know, the, the actor, and we'll see where we get to. But I'll get you onto the airways of love, if it's the yeah, last thing I do. It is, it is. There is a lot of love out there for him. Um, so this is going to be quite big. I can I can imagine we're going to get some good feedback off the back of this and stuff, especially if we start dissing Wong, and he's Wong, and he's, he's Wong. Is he wrong or wrong? Uh, but hey, we'll see. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. For sure. And um, there are some titles that I've always looked forward to bringing to the discussion table that, that I actually really, really like, where I think Michael not only was a good sport in terms of how much he's been made fun of, but mm. he's, all, he's actually very good uh, as a comedic performer and he's also good at taking the hit. Which uh, always indeed was endearing. So we'll be looking at some kind of quirky movies later in the coverage. There's a movie called "It's a Comedic Murder Mystery" called "The Case of the Cold Fish." Uh, Shaolin sinks down. He plays an SDU officer. Comes to a small island where to examine a, uh, to examine a murder, and it's a very quirky murder mystery. Shot in sink sound and uh, also uh, very funny. Where they rip on him just constantly, but he he's up for it. So that endeared me to him uh, when he does those things. But uh, uh, we'll get to that uh, when we reach the nineties segment. Uh, and uh, before we do a rundown of what's to come in this episode on Legacy of Rage, uh, we'll uh, do the contact information. And this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. This is our little sub-series. I didn't uh, reach out to a Puff historian Jay Lee for a sort of, uh, what we're going to do this time? Is it Lama Lame? Or is it, uh, <laughs> what is it? I-, I just went with my admittedly 
poor gut instinct, but I went with my gut instinct <laughs> nonetheless. And I went with, uh, well, if he's great, he's wrong. And if he's uh, bad, he's wrong. So and uh, maybe we'll do it in a growl- growly fashion. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> so wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we could do that. But uh, we'll stick we're sticking with that for the time being, and that will be sorted in its own category on our website, podcastonfire.com, where you'll find this show on Hong Kong cinema, new and old. But we also do shows on Japanese cinema, on Korean cinema, and the Korean uh, the, the What's Korean Cinema show. It was a poor joke on my behalf that ended up as a podcast, and then we ended up, me and Paul Queen, on an official Blu-ray, doing an audio commentary for a wacky, obscure, and just nuts 70s South Korean movie. So, poor joke, work ethic, gets you places sometimes you know and what's the what's the what's the what's it called again ken it's called woman chasing the butterfly of death yes which is a, a very a very giallo title a very italian uh, giallo uh, title uh, we thought it officially was more or less killer butterflies on the commentary we refer to it mainly as killer butterfly but it has like four or five variations of its english title and uh Mondo Macabro, who released a DVD with our commentary, they chose, and it is a snappy title, Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death, and it makes sense. So um, it's uh, it's not uh, selling uh, the movie unfairly or anything, but uh, what's Korean cinema, the podcast is out there. Go get the Mondo Macabro Blu-ray of Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death uh, right now to hear our audio commentary, and there's a variety of uh, video interviews with uh, cast and crew that have worked with the director before. The director is Kim Ki-young, but also uh, some of the uh, cast and crew that worked on that kooky movie in particular. I, I, I always sell it as, like, do you want uh, uh, talking skeletons, uh, philosophical stances on free will, uh, pastry, sex on pastry, cancer, melodrama, talking heads, decapitated heads, alcohol... Do you want that? Well, you got it. <laughs> it's uh, everything and more that you could have asked for. There's a lot of pastry. I'm just making me feel hungry at the same There's time. Literally, I, I, I shit you not. They bring in this, and, and, and I'm not going to explain the context because it's so out there. They bring in this pastry machine that just shoots out pastry. And then they have sex upon the pastry that keeps on uh, being shot out uh, out of that big machine. That big old industrial machine that goes like kajunga pastry, kajunga pastry. South Korean cinema, ladies and gents. It's just worth buying just for that because I can't wait to hear the commentary on this. Mine's on order, so um, I'll let you know, but um, I'm looking forward to it. And it's a region all Blu-ray as well. So you in the UK, you can you can pick it, you can pick it up and play it in your region B player at any rate uh, we uh, if you have any feedback on that blu-ray or michael wong uh, let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com let us know over on uh, social media where we discuss uh, michael wong and a variety of uh, other movies and uh, discuss brandon lee we can discuss legacy of rage uh, you can do that on facebook in our discussion group if you click the button at the top of our website that will lead you to our page so why don't you leave a like in support do it for michael michael and uh, click our twitter uh, twitter button to get to our twitter the feed our handle is podcast on fire and i write about a variety of hong kong and taiwanese movies including some michael wong movies here and there over on my site sogoodreviews.com he, he did category three and, and occasionally sex scenes but uh, still he did category three thrillers like fatal love where he's the villain a very good uh, grim 
uh, thriller. Unfortunately, not Sink Sound, but uh, it's a, it's a kind of 50-50 proposition whether Michael appears in Sink Sound or not. And obviously, he didn't dub his own Cantonese dialogue for four movies, uh, and and he so did not dub his own dialogue for Legacy <laughs> of Rage. That is not <laughs> Michael. <No. laughs> uh, but uh, regardless, uh, those are my sites, and uh, my Twitter handle is at uh, so good reviews. And subscribe to us, of course, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and leave uh, a written review or star rating on iTunes. And uh, furthermore, furthermore, stream us on Stitcher and Spotify and all that good stuff. Phil, my man, have you reached out to Michael to do an interview for your site? <laughs> You know what? I, in all honesty, I've, I've liked. Well, I've done a few interviews this year, but you know what? You'd be great, wouldn't it, to get Michael? Actually, I'd love to get Ronnie and stuff. So we might have to try and um, we might have to try and swing some cash some uh, checks in for that one. But I think it'd be good to get maybe uh, one or two of them um, next year. I think I'm gonna need to do a few more uh, interviews and stuff and, and get some people in and start talking movies a bit more with these people. I think they they deserve to be. Uh, interviewed and and told how great they are or, or not. Uh, but no, <laughs> that that's not very kind. A kind stance, like come into our interview <laughs> booth. No, you no. might be loved or you might not be, but you're trapped. So screw you. So screw you. I've got you now. I'm now. I need to, I need to interview people I love. I love you. Airways of love, Phil G. <laughs> yeah, interview sessions. Of love. But um, this again. Coming back to it, obviously, you can find Eastern Film Fans at www.easternfilmfans.co.uk, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Coming back to this, though, and this is important. Again, we've got another person who, much like George Lamb, much like Alan Sam, have always been in the background of movies for me. And Michael Wong has, maybe in the forefront just because he's Michael Wong to a certain extent, but he's always kind of been there but never really focused. So, again, it will be interesting for me to focus on on him as an actor or how he's coming across in a film um, within that film that some of these films obviously I would have seen previously and some not. And again, like the previous installments that we've done, just taking a look at that person, certainly, you know, we've done it with Alan Tam, done it with George Lane, Michael Wong. It's going to be an interesting journey. And that's the attitude that I, uh, I love Phil for. Uh, <laughs> it's not uh, like I have to force him to do these things. Uh, he, yeah. can, he can always say no. I mean, if he didn't back out of the George Lamb or Alan Tam coverage, then, then I think we're good. We can just throw any actor on him by this point. Exactly. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we're some rundown in terms of uh, what this content will be uh, containing. And uh, we'll be devoting this episode solely to Legacy of Rage because there, there are several sections before it of uh, note and um, they're, they're going to take some time. So I didn't uh, want to stack this episode with too much. Uh, this is the first one. Uh, all, uh, all sections have timestamps in the show posts so you can navigate to them uh, smoothly. We first uh, talk of uh, Michael Wong's biography and career, going back to his roots, how he got into uh, the movies and into the sky and onto the airways of love, if you will. Uh, the Legacy of Rage section will contain some making of notes and then we conclude the episode with our review of the film. Uh, but uh, before we do all that, let's take a musical, uh, uh, musical break. And whether I pick uh, some Legacy of Rage audio or just cheekily do some airways of love uh, dropped in there, we'll see. But uh, we'll do the 30 second break and we'll be back after that. Maybe I'll open the show with Airways of Love and then uh, then we're off and running so people know, oh no, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
And welcome back. And let's uh, start this one off then. Uh, you all may know of uh, Michael Wong, whether you like him or not. But uh, there, there is a history to all persons that get into the industry. And um, that's true for Michael as well. So uh, let's uh, do this. And uh, by all means, uh, Phil, you're going to get your section later, of course. But by all means, uh, interject uh, whatever you like as uh, we go through this uh, career starting right now. So... A, he's a mainstay, really, of the Hong Kong film industry, Michael is, and uh, he made his uh, Hong Kong movie debut in the 80s. That's where he started to grace our screens, if you will. Uh, but he was born in New York. He is the son of uh, uh, restaurateur William Wong and his mother, Connie von Userloh. Uh, she's American, but also of Dutch and French uh, descent. Uh, so that's where the Americanness of it all uh, comes uh, in terms of Michael. Uh, Michael studied as far as high school in America, but, des- but decided to try out acting in Hong Kong. Um, and his brother Russell did so at the same time. And eventually his other brother, Declan, uh, tried to break into the Hong Kong movie industry. I don't know how many credits Declan had, but I can swear he's in one of the God of Gamblers movies uh, uh, from the Stephen Chow run and onwards. I'm might. I'm going to take a, cho- a shot in the dark. I think he's in God of Gamblers 3 Back to Shanghai, which is the Stephen Chow one and not the God of Gamblers 3 that is the prequel starring Leon Lai. I think uh, that is it. But regardless, there, there is a, a third brother, Declan. And in an interview with uh, South China Morning Post, Michael talks a little of American and Hong Kong identity, uh, you know, considering his heritage and where he lives uh, full time, uh, because he, he made Hong Kong his home uh, ultimately. And from his perspective he was never he felt he was never really accepted as a hong konger and not being strictly hong kong chinese uh, you know that was the problem but uh, he always tried to uh, not have people deny his identity and rise above that conflict despite being mixed race he says that growing up in america shaped him to a degree you know it was the culture that was around him that shaped him for many years for a critical stretch of his life but uh, ultimately he's had uh, several aspects of the world ingrained uh, in him Uh, and even though he doesn't go back to the u.s that often it it all stays with him uh, being american born chinese or even eurasian uh, if you want to define it like that Uh, so he, he, he feels mixed and not just uh, Hong Kong, uh, a Hong Konger after all these years. Uh, he came to Hong Kong in 1983 since Cinema City producer Nan Sun Shi, who eventually married Choi Hak, had found his brother Russell's photo with a Hollywood agency. And uh, Russell was asked if he had any brothers and he told uh, her of his family and uh, Michael actually received an invite to Hong Kong uh, as well. Um, in, in some shape or form after these uh, discussions. And he made his debut in 1985's City Hero. That's good, though. I mean, I didn't even realise that was his debut, that City Hero. Obviously, I remember it way back when. Small role. Yeah, it just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. It's a movie where Dean Sheck is, is like a drill sergeant yeah, uh, for yeah. a group of something, something that trains to be military or police. So... That's yourself for you. Dean Sheck is essentially like Ollie Ermey out of Full Metal Jacket, only before Full Metal Jacket or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, there it is. And if you go to the Wong Gifts Twitter account, the pinned tweet, where which is the sort of introductory yeah, yeah. tweet to all the uh, readers, that is uh, a uh, a scene from City Hero, but subtitled to fit the Wong 
give Twitter needs, of course. <laughs> Good bit of info. Love it. I love that uh, the one GIF account. It's wicked. That is uh, the the official uh, the official uh, sort of uh, gateway to uh, <laughs> to uh, to all things positive. One gifts, I suppose. Oh, wow. Uh, he made his debut in that movie, City Hero, but more prominently alongside Michelle Yeoh and Henry Sonata in Royal Warriors the year after. And we'll get to that movie, not just uh, this episode. Uh, Michael didn't enter into the industry knowing Cantonese fluently, nor had any formal training in terms of acting or connections uh, to get him a smooth transition into films. Yes, he had his brother, but still... It wasn't easy peasy necessarily. Acting in post-dubbed films, which which many Hong Kong most Hong Kong movies were at the time, it helped. But um, you know, he, he did his share of sync sound films too, where he sort of freewheeled between languages and still does. In in his own words, he says he can speak about thirty to forty percent Cantonese, but mostly learned it on film sets. Uh, and he's been called on it, like in terms of like, why don't you know Cantonese after living in Hong Kong for thirty years? But and I know people don't necessarily think this is a good defense, but but I thought it came off as sincere uh, because he quite humbly says that, you know, I would have to be really interested in learning a language and getting into it full time, studying it and whatnot mm. to really learn it. But that, that simply has not happened due to self-admitted poor discipline. Like he, he calls himself on it that my, my discipline has not is not great in terms of learning languages, but he instead did did deep dives into other interests, such as playing the piano, and obviously he became a pilot later in his life. So playing the piano was an interest and passion, and uh, where he did feel discipline showed up. But he regrets that he didn't have that in him at an earlier stage in life and therefore could. I think, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's an expectation somewhat and stuff. I mean, you know, ironically and stuff, people think that I'm that heavily into movies and stuff that I should understand Chinese or Cantonese and stuff. And you're like, well, yeah, I can do a couple of phrases. I can do, okay, that's a good one. Wow, that's, okay. that, that's what I can do. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, yi sam si um. There you go. One to five in Cantonese. That's it. I'm done. That's that's my, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's it. Even my pronunciation is awful. It just comes off as a, a brummy. Um, pronouncing Chinese names, um, I, I forgive me because you would have heard heard of this on all the podcasts. But yeah, he's right, and 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 to be fair to Michael in that respect and stuff, actually come out and saying that could rub people up the wrong way. But you're right, you, you need to have passion, devotion, especially to a language. You know, I'm not one for languages either. To put that time and effort to to know that, and like you say, you, you pick up what you need to because obviously he's been working in the industry a long time and stuff to, but to fully understand it like I say you need you need to be devoted to it and you know obviously he's got other interests and in other things and you know family man as well so you know fair play to him and it's not automatic just because uh you know, I sort of presume his wife, uh, Janet, uh, knows Cantonese, but may, maybe that's wrong. But regardless, you, you can't always uh, assume that, well, that means it gets into your bloodstream exactly. in, in six months just because uh, you're living with someone who uh, who, who speaks it. And, and I don't think so, uh, all his kids necessarily, you know, automatically help that either. I think that they're, they're comfortable with English and living in that society where English, uh, you can get by on English. So as long as he sort of, is self-critical of himself. I think that makes him come up as uh, yeah. hu- humble, and um, and and God knows I wouldn't be able to do a deep dive on languages either. Uh, so, 
Um, I'm not that kind of guy. I mean, the, the only reason I'm comfortable with, with English is because that literally was around me from an early age. And we started studying English in school at an early age as well. So, you know, combined like listening to movies, reading subtitles for many, many years, proper subtitles, not Hong Kong subtitles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> Let's just get that in there now. Yeah, yeah. It's ingrained in you and that way. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So it works naturally. At any rate, the first few years of acting for Michael Wong would be action-tinted, as um, some of the earlier roles, again, included the mentioned Royal Warriors. But he also co-starred uh, here uh, alongside uh, Bruce Lee's son, Brandon, in the heroic bloodshed movie Legacy of Rage and in the Line of Duty 4. So him sharing the screen with Donnie Yen and Cynthia Khan. And uh, because then the In the Line of Duty, a.k.a.s, now became the main brand for the Unconnected series. Royal Warriors is known as In the Line of Duty 1 or 2. Yes, Madam is either in the, in the Line of Duty 1 or 2, but In the Line of Duty uh, from 3, and at least for one more movie after that, 4, it was officially In the Line of Duty in Hong Kong. It's a confusing situation, but it's not a series as... Uh, as such as the years went by he, he turned up in a variety of uh, roles uh, you know he wasn't branded a particular type of actor uh, because the remainder of the decade and early 90s saw him doing movie, movies with Stephen Chow and even category 3 thrillers such as Fatal Love and uh, Simon Yam uh, stalking a reporter movie Can't Stop My Crazy Love For You that's a great category 3 movie uh, Simon Yam going all Simon Yam uh, in terms of- I've not seen that one <laughs> He uh, he doesn't do things half-hearted. Simon Yam, when he plays psychos in Category 3 movies, uh, that's for sure. Uh, he has mannequins and stuff that he, has di- that he has dinner with, and I think he dances with mannequins, and he, j- he just wants uh, her to love him. You know, that can... And uh, My- Michael Wong is like the boyfriend of that reporter um, that he stalks. Uh, at any rate, uh, 1994's final option seemed to represent a shift as Michael playing a tough commander, Stone Wong. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, but I must because Stone Wong is a fantastic movie name. <laughs> Stone Wong, yeah. In that movie where, you know, he played a tough commander uh, who was uh, the commander of uh, the STU, you know, the equivalent to the SWAT team. It was written and directed by Gordon Chan and it grossed over 11 million Hong Kong dollars at the time. And the prequel, First Option, would earn Michael a Best Actor nomination at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, I don't know which movie it is where he says he's a mortal line, don't call me Guaylo, if it's de- if it's the first or the prequel, but... Um, yeah, I think it's final option. That's uh, that's the that's the one. That's the one that was the defining one. That was his turning point, as you say. I think that's that's the one. All of a sudden, helped him identify kind of his his Chinese image, wasn't it? So for sure, uh, those ventures into the option movies would also uh, signal a change into playing like tougher characters, and his image as an SDU officer got solidified uh, on screen and. Uh, it would happen fairly frequently, but also for comedic purposes, because in that movie, The Case of the Cold Fish, for producer Danny Lee, he, he is an SDU officer, but it is a quirky murder mystery comedy that uh, sends up the image to a degree, and he's on board with uh, being the butt of jokes. Uh, they call him asshole, sir, throughout the movie, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> Rather than yes, sir. Like that, that, that police force on that island, they're not uh, very diligent. Let's just say that they're they're not used to crime, so it, it, it's a fun little movie. I think I probably saw Michael in no, not maybe Royal Warriors first, but my main distinct memory of seeing Michael and identifying that guy that guy's name is Michael Wong uh, was uh, as the villain in John Woo's Canadian TV series Once a Thief. 
that was based on his own film by the same name and the pilot episode where michael is in that was feature length so that has been released on its own and uh, michael appeared in three episodes throughout the series run i think it ran like two seasons uh, before they i think they literally just killed off all characters in finale like you're all dead bye cancelled uh 90s tv for you uh further international exposure uh, came in choi hacks and 1998 jean-claude van damme movie knockoff uh, but beast cops from 1998 also probably remains uh, you know it's an iconic cops and trial picture that dominated the hong kong film awards subsequently it was best film anthony wong was best actor uh, both in hong kong and taiwan and while michael wasn't nominated he re- he's really part of that movie's impact his contrast versus anthony is, is memorable and obviously uk audiences got to take in beast cops via hong kong legend special edition back in the day really michael takes part in so in some of the more shocking scenes of violence in that movie and uh, michael says that he takes pride in the film he he's proud of the direction by gordon chan and dante lam i believe uh, worked on it too and uh, anthony's performance he loved uh, as well as the sort of cultural nuances of hong kong that that were on display and you know the depiction of groups within uh, the law enforcement and triads so um beast cops is something he um he doesn't uh, forget as such uh, so um uh, that was a neat little hong kong legends addition because it wasn't strictly kung fu action or such it was at this big acclaimed dramatic movie so and, and hong kong legends sold it as they should they didn't try to sex it up in terms of the latest greatest like john woo challenger no they sold it as a best film winner and here is a special edition of it so really enjoyed it do, do you remember enjoying beast cops if you have seen it yeah, yeah, it's on my collection. It's in my shelf of my uh, on all my lovely Hong Kong legends. I'm looking at them now. My 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 edition is in. Uh, I threw the case away. You remember I told you? Oh this. God! <laughs> keep, oh, don't don't Ken, don't tell me that. Make me annoyed. The, the disc is in uh, in a well organized disc case. I can find it in ten seconds. I can see. I can. T- I can almost touch it from here. I can see it. Look, the lovely pictures on it. The lovely pictures, Ken. I'm after the content and not the trink- <laughs> trinkets. <laughs> if they had uh, shipped it with a little helicopter, I would have obviously kept it and uh, in, in case, in, like put it in a glass case or something. Yeah. Uh, in connection to a final option, and uh, to some degree, uh, because of that line, uh, uh, don't call me Guaylo. Uh, Michael has discussed his personal dislike uh, for being called a guaylo. You know, um, that's not necessarily a, an endearing term in Chinese. You know, I've heard it translated as white ghost, for instance, uh, or pale ghost or whatever. Uh, so being known as that, he's uh, not, not terribly comfortable with it. He, he feels there's a racial slant to it. And uh, who would like to hear it all over again uh, in, in your life and he, he relates the story to the term being banned on TV in Hong Kong but one of his famous lines in uh, in Final Option Don't Call Me Guaylo that stuck and and, and, I, and as he said himself quote uh, that's haunted me for the rest of my life because it's still one of the strongest characters I've played uh, I can't shake it so maybe the Asian gods played a jo- joke on me with that <laughs> you know 
has a sense of humor, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 2000 saw, saw Michael so far one and only stint as director, making and starring in the movie Miles Apart alongside Cecilia Yip. Lovely, lovely, lovely Cecilia Yip. One of my favorite leading ladies in Hong Kong cinema. As many Hong Kong actors uh, did, it almost felt like it was uh, mandatory. Uh, he took a leap uh, into music as well in 2006, but uh, not necessarily canto pop. Um, Michael performed more akin to big band type of music. He had a 10-piece band and he released a uh, cover album in 2007 called Cool Rhythm, where he gave us uh, cover renditions of I've Got You Under My Skin, Imagine, John Lennon's Imagine, and all rearranged in that big band jazz swing style. Which is a cool little angle to it all. No one forced like this canto pop image onto him. It seems like this is what I like and this is what we're going to pursue. And it wasn't actually an easy sell uh, because he talked about the creation of Cool Rhythm in a canto pop dominated industry. To go big band, jazz, swing wasn't necessarily uh, equal to you're going to outdo Andy Lau (laughs) with that choice. (laughs) Nope. So, uh, so for him to commercially find a, uh, a find a place in the music industry wasn't easy. So he he arranged his own distribution to the best of his abilities to get uh, to get the album out there. Uh, so you know, going against the grain, uh, being more unique perhaps for for the Hong Kong industry, uh, and not going with the formula and flavor of the month uh, wasn't easy, and it doesn't always get support. And I think that's true for global music industry as well. Um, so th- that old school taste uh, wasn't uh, wasn't the flavor of the month. Uh, he even released an album in Thailand, which saw the man mixing English and Thai language uh, in terms of uh, the songs uh, on the CD, despite not speaking the latter either. So, and as I wrote, no risk, no gain, huh? Like, I'll, I'll sing in Thai. Fuck it, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> if they don't like me, I can just get the helicopter out of there. I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mm. And then speaking of that, uh, and really um, the more recent music industry, uh, 2015 also saw the release of Airways of Love. And the more said about that, the better. Just look at it. Look at it, Phil. Oh, Airways God. of Love. And, 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 and I suppose the, uh, the, the writing uh, and uh, in, uh, the, the influence of Airways of Love came from the fact that uh, Michael is also a, a helicopter pilot nowadays. He um, pursued that. And it all started during his uh, ambassadorship with Omega in 1998, where he met the Apollo 17 astronaut Gene Cernan, or Kernan, who was the last man to walk on the moon. So he got hooked on aviation, uh, and uh, by that point he, he went about learning and educating himself by going to Toronto and flying for uh, every day for three months, and uh, then to the U.S. to study for his private pilot license. So there's an example again. He had difficulty in terms of getting into the language of it all. But this meant something. This was a drive. And he got it made, you know, through this devotion. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, admirable. You, 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 you find something that you can absorb. Like for, for, for me, for instance, it, when I make my notes in terms, for, for my archives in terms of uh, classic movies and all of that, I look more for uh, the uh, making of substance. But the more... Uh, philosophical uh, substance impact on society and what it all means in terms of when a movie was released if it was relevant politically i i can't absorb that stuff as easily or really not, not at all but the the making of aspects of movies that's my sort of uh, that's my jam so um so that's an example of uh, uh, michael finding something uh, that really clicked with him i suppose so 
And as a Hong Kong actor, you can't rely on acting full-time, as we've heard throughout the years. Uh, many stories of uh, Hong Kong actors we know and love that seem to appear in movies every day. They still not, need to have a day job, you know, a main job. <laughs> so, um, uh, not Andy Lau, of course, but... Uh, well, uh, just... Michael dreamt of uh, working with, uh, or for, Sir Michael Kaduri. Sorry again, I'm mispronouncing that. But he, he, he had or has a company called Heli Services, who provide passenger charters, sightseeing services, but also lifting and construction work services and work for... Uh, Hong Kong power supply companies. Uh, he worked hard to break into that industry, but uh, which isn't easy. But after a decade and a half, uh, Michael started working for Heli Services. Uh, he's he's working steadily, judging by credits, uh, often in roles of authority, and in some shape or form, uh, like him or not, Michael works in high-profile productions um, as well, uh, uh, such as House of Fury, Overheard, Cold War, Nightfall, Firestorm with Andy Lau, SDU Sex Duties Unit, which was a comedy Edmund Pang produced, I believe. It's not a cheap category-free movie as such. Uh, and he's even in the God of Gamblers revival of sorts, uh, From Vegas to Macau. Uh, even internationally, you, you can see him um, here and there still. He was in Rennie Harlins, Jackie Chan movie Skip Trace. He had a brief appearance in Transformers Age of Extinction. I think it's super brief, like a few seconds. Like, what is that? It's a robot. Get out. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> because they shot like uh, some stuff in Hong yeah, Kong and, uh, and, yeah. and that was kept. It's, it's akin to sort of the cameo that Edison Chen did in The Dark Knight where he opened the door for Morgan Freeman. And that was his few seconds uh, there in Hong Kong. He's also in and, uh, a triple threat with that um, Twitter remarks and reviews have said the following about not enough Michael Wong. But I'm going to hand it over to Phil because by now you've probably seen triple threat, which is this sort of all star action fighting cast in one uh, international fighting cast in one. Scott is in it, uh, Tony Jaa and so forth. So have you seen triple threat? Uh, how was it? Was there enough Michael Wong? No, no, there wasn't enough Michael Wong. To be fair, I, yeah, to be, it's a good, it's a good point. Joking aside, there should have been more Michael Wong in it. There wasn't enough um, in there of him. It would have, uh, it could have been really good for uh, cropping up for a sequel kind of thing. And just, to, just to add uh, promotion up for my site and stuff, I did uh, interview Tony Jaa on the back of that. Triple threat. Really? Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah no doubt. You, you have, always have stories like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed him. So I'm like, yeah, I did, yeah, I did. Actually, I did, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that was on the back of Triple Threat. But you're right, you know, there's not enough Michael in that, and there needs to be because, uh, yeah. But, but being in all honesty, because Michael isn't an all on-screen fighter, the focus must have been on the on-screen fighters for that one. And Michael oh, yes, is one of the actors. Yeah, it. absolutely. It was all about it was all about the fight scenes. It was all about um, Scott and Tony Jarman and um, Tiger Chen and all about the fighting. So, but yeah, it was a good little film. Good little film. It's not like uh, this would would be the only film of that kind ever. These guys can still appear in films together or separately and uh, so it's not like this needs to work otherwise we're screwed so I've, I've heard good things about it in terms of that and maybe it's not the best of films but it delivers yeah. in the key aspects it that does. it um, yeah. focused on in terms of uh, michael's focus he has um, he has launched a whiskey collection as well and he collaborates with fashion brands so he's tries he tries also to enhance his his own brand name of mw and he, he says that he figures he's been a spokesperson for so many in the past so this is a logical step of 
trying to uh, trying to create uh, your own brand as well, having uh, learned about the business for a little uh, little while throughout the years. So, uh, Michael has been married to supermodel Janet Ma for over twenty five years. Go, Michael! And he has uh, two daughters, Kayla and Eriza Shannon, and one son, Caden uh, or Karin Miles Wong. The family is in the public eye, looking at Michael and Janet alone, but especially Michael and Kayla by this point. She studied fashion in Los Angeles and has launched her clothing label, her own clothing label called Basics for Basics. And with that issue of being in the public eye, Michael and his wife Janet tried to prepare their children sort of emotionally for the onslaught that being a public person can feel like how to you know how you deal with promoting media exposure and relating their own experiences good and bad and and perhaps focus got predictably even greater on the family when his uh, daughter Kayla came out as as gay and and Michael talked about this in interviews uh, because he says that there's no discrimination laws in Hong Kong or at least there uh, wasn't such laws um, in um, in that interview a few years ago so she would legally not be protected by that but michael is supportive he's rational and he is realistic as he talks of his daughter and all of this because he says that you know as a father he's there to protect his daughter but the situation in hong kong in terms of uh, this discrimination it's light compared to other countries where being gay would mean uh, violence inflicted violence and hong kong doesn't have that kind of violence uh, as such so uh, but in general it's a non-thing for him because um so someone coming out someone he loves and just and and your particular sexuality it, it, it isn't a thing uh, she's his daughter and love is endless and situation and responsibilities as a parent doesn't change so obviously that's uh that's the perfect uh, sort of uh, perspective to have on all of these things so and and, and they seem to do a lot together they're they're, they're, they're a team in the public eye as well so they're very comfortable um together they're, they're not on their little own islands in terms of brands and all of that so that's nice to see uh nice to see a family affair and, and finally switching back a little to movies and how michael navigates the market now that it's mainland chinese uh, a mainland chinese market to an extent to take into consideration is uh, there isn't a Hong Kong movie, a widely spread Hong Kong movie anymore. And he feels Hong Kong, at the best of its abilities, needs to promote the city and its industry to, and, and make it a unique angle. But he understands mainland releases sort of wipes out local releases. And mainland China is getting bigger, in, their cinema is getting bigger, and they're adopting Hollywood ways. And there's a formula, there's job opportunities, and, and this has meant that Hong Kong cinema has been reduced and filmmakers have gone with the market style and the you know that demand and that's not necessarily the greatest step for cinema longevity uh his quote nowadays it's a battle of the business it's it's less about hong kong continuing to develop its own uh, cinema and even when an, when he goes out for roles demand is often for a mainland chinese actor and uh, that that could happen to a hong kong actor fluent in cantonese as well uh, because um, so Ma- Michael has said that it's not always you, you're considered for roles uh, in the long run uh, because of the language aspect. Sometimes uh, mainland Chinese movies are dubbed. So obviously, um, even if Andy Lau appears in a movie, that, that could be fully Mandarin dubbed, even if Andy Lau is comfortable in Mandarin. So, you know, there, there's a chance for Michael. But uh, nevertheless, he, he gets uh, uh, he's busy. He keeps himself busy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, let's uh, move on to Legacy of Rage a little bit more specifically. And plot, uh, first of all, from the movie. It's from 1986, uh, not the plot. It was written a bit more recently <laughs> than that. <laughs> uh, but the movie is from 1986, from the Far East Films review of the film. Brandon, played by Brandon Lee, that's easy to remember, is working two jobs, hoping to buy his dream motorcycle. But his dreams are soon shattered when his best friend Michael, played by Michael Wong, also easy to remember, when he uses Brandon as a fall guy when he has a greedy corrupt cop uh, killed that cop is called shocky cow played by uh, lam chung uh, brandon is uh, is subsequently tried and sentenced to eight years in prison uh, meanwhile brandon's uh, fiance may played by regina kent fights off an attempted rape by bad michael who has uh, had her on his mind uh, since he first laid uh, eyes on her uh, scared and carrying Brandon's child, she eventually agrees to hide in Brazil with Mr. Wong, who uh, treats her as uh, as a daughter. And after Brandon is finally released, May returns to greet him. However, unaware that uh, she was uh, pregnant when he was sentenced, he immediately assumes that the boy she has in tow belongs to Michael, and he walks away. May then has the misfortune to encounter Mike, who has since uh, taken over the criminal business from Uncle Yi, played by Chan Wai Man. So they're not friends anymore, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no they're not really <laughs> so before we get to the review uh, i'm gonna hand it over to phil because there are some uh, background notes on the making of legacy of rage thanks to a uh, dvd extra that was produced a few years ago so take it away phil what do you want to say in terms of uh, the making of notes uh, connected to legacy of rage yeah so obviously the the shirt factory um dvd mike leaders discussing um and interviewing actually uh, one of you and um, on the background, the director of the film. Um, and so some of the notes are quite interesting. So just just uh, one of you was obviously assigned um, the project at DMB together with partners, um, Clifton Cohen, Raymond Fong. Um, the company had signed up. Brandon obviously needed a script and a movie by a set release date, as, as it always is with these things. And obviously, um, knowing you spoke English, um, the company figured that it would benefit the working relationship with obviously Brandon Lee, who did not speak Cantonese either. So it made perfect sense. And I suppose they were looking for a, a fast book or get a movie out quick. They got Brandon Lee uh, signed Ronnie Yu. Um, so obviously the producers were also after this being having a like more American feel as a movie. And I think you get that with the film, but they were shooting in Hong Kong after all. So you had to be, kind of crafty with his style and location apparently miami vice was cited as a as an inspiration but obviously um also ronnie was making more of a martial arts flavored picture or that was certainly the the premise for it um but that ran into some resistance with obviously the 1920 year old brandon lee who obviously resisted the idea quite strongly since he was very aware of whose shadow he would be in if he did such a movie. Hmm, I wonder whose shadow that might be, Mr. Lee. Um, and you can and you can imagine that he would be. He's a 19, 20-year-old. He's cracking the film industry. All of a sudden, you know, you've got this proposal, um, Brandon Lee, but the resistance would be there, I guess. He's still living in that shadow of Bruce Lee at that time. You know, you're a 19, 20-year-old, so I, I kind of get that. Uh, makes sense. I think um, apparently Ronnie was obviously very diplomatic as he talked with Brandon um, during his meeting in Los Angeles, but also also fair and blunt saying, you know, we are making an action movie after all. So you understand there is some expectation from the company. There needs to be some action in it. And we'll go through the, the review later and stuff and 
and possibly and um, when we look at it is there enough action in the movie if they're not but obviously we cited there needs to be some action but obviously there's some resistance from brandon at the time and i think that this connected the fact they needed the style worked out as they searched obviously for an action director um they took a meeting with sam hong um for the sake of getting input but also tried putting brandon at ease by meeting someone his father would have worked with um, and obviously surely respected can i just uh, tell you one thing i didn't put this in uh uh in our shared notes but uh, at the time uh, they didn't have to fly all the way back to hong kong uh, to meet sam he was actually in canada at that time shooting paper marriage so it was around that time oh okay that's pretty cool and paper marriage just recently uh they recently came out on uh, blu-ray paper marriage even so yes and I've, I've got the copy there and he's looking at me again and and to be fair i've still got the cover on it ken you, you know what? If I got that DVD, you know what would happen. Uh, the, the Blu-ray, <laughs> you know what would happen with it. Ken, Ken, don't, don't do it. I'm scarred by it all. I'm scarred by it all. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they hooked up with uh, Sam. Unfortunately, obviously, Sam declined to be action director. He was just too busy, obviously, on paper marriage. But he assured him he was going to pursue um, someone and, and assigned a trusted person to the production. So, obviously, you was, was keen to make sure Brandon was at ease um, on this picture. But, obviously, the, the job ultimately went to uh, Mang Hoy. Of course, obviously, he co-stars in the film. Um, and obviously, surprise, one of you seems, you know, Mangoy's list of credits as an action director, so it wasn't extensive. And I don't think it was at the time either. And I certainly didn't know he was action director on this, so that was kind of uh, interesting. Mainly a kung fu player and, 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 and fairly yeah. comfortable actor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but um, didn't know uh, in that extent. But anyway, so because um, it's obviously modern action choreography as well, um, we'll come to review later. So anyway, Ronnie and his team were kind of left to figure out this, obviously, action direction, um, a content dilemma on, a dilemma on their own, as obviously DMB made it clear that the movie needs to be made and delivered. Uh, and you have to kind of, and he has to work it out. So uh, they again looked at Miami Vice in the terms of drug plotting, the action, the character, the location, and ensured further comment for Brandon by casting, obviously, Michael Wong mm-hmm. and Regina King. And obviously, they both spoke English. So it was all about putting Brandon at, at ease. Um, and I think he was the, the money draw for them, clearly. As Ronnie got close enough to Brandon to the extent where he understood he was a young, angry kid to a degree and was quite intensely focused on not being his father. And Brandon actually provided input for the English title of the film as he and you presumably had personal discussions as the movie was being made. That is really, really interesting because obviously the title of the movie is Legacy of Rage. I'm angry. You're angry. Everybody's angry. There's a legacy Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's angry, angry, angry and full of rage at the legacy that he's been left with. You know, he's an angry kid and stuff. He's trying to come to terms with it all. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, it's quite a, I think that's a, a massive fact that he, you know, he, he put the English title they came up with that together. It was just, you know, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah rather than like a, this generic title, like Hard Tiger. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, revenge, or just revenge, you know, Legacy of Rage. I mean, it's a cracking title. Or, or anything with Dragon in it that would just crack yeah, to Bruce Lee as well. Oh, God, yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely left up to the company. I'm sure it would have been Legacy of the Dragon. Game of Death 4. Legacy of Rage is just a so, so great title. You said, obviously, Brandon later came to terms with his father um, and his father's image and ultimately um, was beneficial for his own career path. So, you know, obviously it would be. And you know that happens with uh, age and experience. Uh, of course where, 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 where you appreciate where where people are coming yeah, from. Yeah. That pe- people are not out to sort of poke you and uh, get I don't you. Think, 
nine times out of ten, most people, I mean, most people have probably been in the industry and they're probably, you know, literally in the industry, we're not, we're talking about and stuff, but I've, I've been fortunate to interview a lot of people and stuff, and a lot of people have been quite open and honest, you know, or, or when I've spoken to them and had conversations with them to say, actually, a few years previously, they probably wouldn't have been that, and they have been this kind of person, but obviously you mature, you age, you grow up, it's part and parcel, you know, you take all this and you become, you know, and hopefully better people as you go forward. So, you know, you get an understanding, I think, obviously, for for his age, Brandon probably grew up quicker than most, went through a lot more than most because of who he was anyway. Um, but it was good that he came to terms, obviously, prior to, obviously, his untimely death, and came to terms with that, which was, which was great, but, um, yeah. That's a whole different conversation. Um, but, yeah, so on set, there was always obviously a smooth uh, dynamic between Brandon and his crew. Um, well, it wasn't always a smooth dynamic because, obviously, the stunt people wouldn't uh, kind of speak to him and he looked like this kind of arrogant kid and angry kid, I guess. Um, they were hesitant to obviously strike up a rapport for fear of being looked at of kidding up to the son of a legend. So you can imagine, oh, it's Brandon Lee. Oh, you're going to talk to Brandon and Bruce Lee's son, you know, blah, so... It's a really weird, like, fragile dynamic. Like, yeah. if I talk to him, I'm friendly. If I talk to him ever so slightly exactly. more, I'm a kiss-ass. Yeah, exactly. So you can imagine back back then. So it's, it's a tough one. So you, I can understand why, you know, Ronnie, from that extent, wanted to put those people around, Michael Wong, Regina, they speak English and stuff, and kind of, you know, try and keep him comfortable as he as he could do. But going back to, obviously, the, the, the chosen direction of the film, the production um, consciously stayed away from John Woo's um, ballistic kind of action, um, doves flying and slow-mo. Um, they also got co- uh, cooperation from the Royal Hong Kong Police and the British Army, who lent the production storage facilities that became the prison set for the film. Um, those storage facilities also contained TNT that was used for the impressive on-screen explosions for the latter stages in the film, which is quite cool. Um, the only other final note, which is which is brilliant, and I, and I love this as well as stuff, is um, working with uh, Blackie Co for the car stunts. Um, you say he was crazy, and Ronnie loved that. Any idea would be considered, let's have real people in the vicinity of cars and explosions and not dummies. Sure. <laughs> he he was a daredevil, Blackie Co. He was like he, they always refer to him as like the Asian evil Knievel. Yeah, uh, exactly. he, he did that stuff. Uh, and, exactly. Uh, the real people. Let's just put real people there. Forget about the dummies. Let's just explode next to him and stuff. I mean, you couldn't get away with it now and stuff. But you know, way back then and stuff. I mean, that was just part and parcel of Blackie Co. A brilliant 1986. Yeah, let's just blow some stuff up behind people. They'll be fine. So that's some of the. Um, background knows and that's on the show factory uh, dvd and it is well worth getting just for that commentary it is indeed uh so thank you phil and uh, as uh, for the review section we arrived at it and uh, as for my short opinion I, i've seen this once before so this was a rewatch uh, it's been a few years though i think it's uh competent and it's basic as staged by uh, ronnie you uh, and uh, the fact that Legacy of Rage is short also gives off the vibe that everybody involved were sort of aiming for easy, digestible action entertainment. And that is what's delivered. It's headed by a comfortable Brandon Lee who's on the project for gunplay rather than full-on martial arts, as Phil said. Which is a, a curious uh, curious thing because Brandon then went on to his, uh, his filmography before The Crow they were martial arts movies uh you know more and more so he, he, he got comfortable doing that but it's, so it's cool that it's hong kong movie 
is essentially her own bloodshed. And that, that is really cool. Uh, Ronnie uh, takes us through the dramatic beats, very quick and efficient. Uh, action is a bit sporadic, but the gunplay in quantity is saved for a primal, loud, and very good ending. It's a movie that's not afraid to be lean or dark, but it doesn't truly believe it's meaningful either. It, it knows what it's doing, and that's to be admired. So it's a, it's a very entertaining and uh, easy movie, and uh, also unique because you don't associate... Uh, Hong Kong gunplay with Brandon Lee, knowing Brandon Lee, and uh, so it's cool he got this early rather than doing martial arts, martial arts, martial arts, and now I can do what I like. Uh, rather, they, he uh, he stood his ground and he got to uh, make a, a Brandon Lee movie rather than um, a Bruce Lee movie, I suppose. So, uh, so that's my short opinion. Still like it. Uh, what do you think in short of Legacy of Rage? I still love it. It's been a while revisiting and stuff. There was trepidation, I think, on my part to a certain extent because I I loved it that much and I I hadn't revisited it for a while. So coming back to it, I still enjoyed it as much as I did before. Like I say, I think the runtime helps. You know, it's uh, I'm in twenty five ish, in twenty minutes. It, it that helps it and, it and it jogs along quite nicely. I love a revenge flick, so that's great. I love the fact that. Now I'll probably appreciate it even more because although, yes, you probably want more action beats um, from a martial arts point of view um, that you don't get, you appreciate it now and having an understanding that actually he was hesitant to do that and he wanted to make his own movie. So actually he kind of owns this. So, um, yeah, revisiting was a, was a, was a joy. Um, to be honest. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I've got a lot of love for this movie. As we said, it really has two Americans in the lead, which uh, is yeah. is not that expected either out of a Hong Kong movie. But uh, obviously, we were living in and um, they were living in an era with uh, Hong Kong movies being dubbed afterwards, so that wasn't a problem. And uh, again, I'm I'm still delighted and surprised by the fact that it's slotted more into gunplay. Being in 1986, that is not a surprise that we get a gunplay movie. 1986 saw the release of A Better Tomorrow, and then the floodgates were open. Uh, this was released at the uh, towards the end of the year, so by by that uh, point, uh, presumably uh, a better tomorrow had come out and made made the ripples in the industry that it did. But uh, I, I I do enjoy that fact that uh, rather than exploiting Brandon using the image of his father, although in the trailer and the poster they they do feature Bruce Lee, I'm, I'm quite glad that he he managed to stand his ground because they could have just said, "Shut up! What do you know? You're a kid. You're under yeah. contract. Do for us." <laughs> And I'm really glad that they, they, they listened to him, you know, and uh, Ronnie Yu was there to listen to him as well and being a psychologist at the same time, uh, but, you know, do, doing that balancing act of um, of director and psychologist, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think managing managing that and stuff, uh, as, as he said, an angry young man and stuff that he was and stuff, obviously Brandon wanting to go into the film industry but not wanting to follow in his father's footsteps and obviously pushing back on the the action and stuff and i guess the production company you know and dnb at the time wanted to you know make the mint out of it as well and stuff we're getting to do more action and stuff you know he's look it's brandon lee it's bruce lee basically and stuff you know um and they ronnie having to manage that and manage brandon and the company back and forth you know and put the film together and stuff you know he's no mean 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 feat and to come out with what he has done, which is like I say, this heroic bloodshed movie is uh, is something to um, be very proud of uh, for Ronnie. I think it's a great movie and a great legacy <laughs> uh, for Brandon as well. And they they, they dug deep in terms of um, creativity when it came to naming the characters. 
<laughs> Brandon and Michael. Michael. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think works for me, it, Phil, because I'm getting stupid about the minute. So uh, that's uh, that works for me. In Cantonese, Michael. In Cantonese, Brandon. Yeah, that works for me. At least they can do that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, keep keeping it friendly, keeping it easy, keeping it. Yeah, that you can do that, um, and you can get away with that. I think the little things help, don't they? So uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's an amusing fact. I mean, uh, the, just count the number of Andy Lau movies where he's called Andy, and you, you, you'll be there for a while. I want to three, four, five, six, and out of those twenty movies where he was Andy, probably died in fifteen of them. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, they they set up Brandon as the best ever as he runs off the bus with the abandoned kid. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> And, and and I don't mind that because you, you got you got to like your lead and it's a new lead for audiences too. So set him up as the best ever and you're on your way. It's a very good thing. It is, yeah. I mean, they, like they said, the start of the movie and stuff. They set up the bad guy as a bad guy. You know, Michael Wong is is the bad guy with the with the killing, and it's set up Brandon as a good guy with the chasing of the bus with the kid. It's brilliant. You're just putting them in the categories right there and starting the movie off. You know exactly what you're going to get. You know who sides on who's um and how he's going to work out um yeah why not it works it's fun and michael is sort of this uh he, he's decently present as this as this son of uh, michael chan chan Weiman. a bit, bit of a mouthy son in terms of uh you know he's running his mouth and he's uh, protesting and uh you know so he's got a little bit of danger about him we'll we'll get to whether he's uh, wrong or wrong for the role because there, there, there's more to say but uh ronnie you builds this world of uh, deals including uh, playing a gangster himself who tests out coke or whatever that's ronnie you's little cameo <laughs> yeah, yeah. because he was there so that helped and he's cheap i suppose so you got gangsters and hard characters and therefore being a 1980s movie we got a ton of character actors and uh fight players present here bolo is here uh, teddy yip uh, lam chung as we said xing foyon yeah xing foyon umman tat before his uh, comedic stints with um, Stephen chow ku fang and the always delightful kirk wong in a this is going to come as a shock vil- <laughs> villainous role but yeah he, he's a corrupt cop you know okay he's a corrupt cop with an attitude and corruption in his heart and mind and bananas in his hands <laughs> come on one more I want, love it. <laughs> love it. I mean, you've got the all-star cast there. You know, it just it's just brilliant. And 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 that whole thing with connecting Bolo to Brandon, I I I, I never got the impression that Ronnie you tried to like, hey hey hey, he was in Hand of the Dragon with your father. Brandon really didn't care for that. He was, you know, so the fact that oh my god, it's Bolo, I get to fight Bolo for a little bit and shout with Bolo a little bit, it was really a non-factor for Brandon, and perhaps that's a good focus to it have. Was he wanted massive though. It was massive for us as a Bruce Lee fan, as a as a Brandon Lee fan at the time when I heard about it and stuff before we'd seen it. Brandon Lee's gonna fight Bolo Young. I'm telling you, the buzz was like massive. Well. The buzz with the, with the internet around then, I don't know. But there was definitely a buzz around me and my mates that we were chatting about it. It was massive. It was like, Wiggy's going to fight and stuff. Okay, the fight scene isn't the, the, the longest fight scene, but it doesn't really matter. One, he squares off to him, and you, you get that sense of, 
he's an angry kid anyway and stuff. Um, and he snarls his way through this movie quite a bit and stuff. But that scene is just tremendous. As quick as it is, it's still great. It's still great. I still love it today. And it created such a buzz. They they obviously knew what they were doing when they when they set that up and stuff. And I'm sure Brandon wasn't, you know, too impressed by it. But one, he would have played the, well, you know, we need to put some action in this film, Brandon. So, you know, and you know, I've got Bolo here. We might as well, you know, he's brilliant. That, that buzz, it's like, you know, today's age, you know, you put Tony Jarve against, you know, Scott Adkins and everybody's, oh, God, that, wow, we can't wait and stuff. It was the same kind of buzz for this movie. I also remember Bolo's name in Enter the Dragon. He was called uh, Bolo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes it easy for everybody to remember. Exactly. Bruce was mostly referred to as Lee, I believe. But but still, it works. (laughs) One other thing that uh, is good about this is that even though it has gunplay and some martial arts, it's a movie that still stays away from the schizophrenic nature of what the Hong Kong movie can be. Because this is not a goofy movie. This uh, doesn't stray into comedy as such. It keeps its focus on this story of friends and betrayal and uh, you know the violence that ensues which is again it's not the greatest story ever told but i think this really stood out for me that it, it does things in a straight manner going on a straight line mm. e- even though it has martial arts too and i, I appreciate that a lot uh, actually and uh, i also like that they, you know we, we get where we, we get the building blocks to michael's character that he's uh, he's gonna be the bad one because he's uh smarmy and uh sleazy and uh he, he's not subtle as he eyes regina you know uh, he openly says to brandon essentially like I'll, I'll take used goods essentially if you don't want her i'll take her hand her over to me and i think that's a whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> if you're gonna hate someone uh, then uh yeah with his slicked back hair and he's super young michael but still you you, you grow to hate him uh, being that open with like I don't mind if you had her I'll have her too <laughs> exactly yeah it's a good little scene especially on the boat and stuff and they're chatting away and stuff and it, for anyone this is one of uh, Michael Wong's earliest films as well and actually so I'm going to come straight out and say he does a really fabulous job I think and he sets it up quite nicely and he snarls where he needs to snarl um, and he portrays it this rich drug lords kid and stuff that you know wants to take over the world and he, and he evolves as a character as well and stuff but you he, he plays it really well it works really well for him um and that's what helps brandon in the in the film to, so to speak as well because it's brandon's first debut for for me michael is uh it comes and goes into it's a little bit of a forced act so uh, sometimes it's effective for the basic framework that it is, and so sometimes it's a little bit of a forced act. I, I think I wanted more of uh, more heinousness. Uh, I mean, gr- grant that he tries to rape her or even rapes her, I don't remember. Yeah, that. exactly. I mean, yeah, you can't get more heinous than what he is at the end of it. So he, he does become that. I, I know what you mean and stuff, but I wanted like a like an Alex Mann style <laughs> snarl to him, <laughs> even though yeah, even yeah. though no one does that like Alex Mann does. But still, I I enjoyed his performance. Obviously, the the young buck, he's got his eyes on on Brendan's um, uh, Regina. Yeah, I I love that there's a later scene in the movie where the, I, I think yeah, either Brandon or Regina uh, enters the room, and Michael is sitting there. He, he's got his slick back hair by this point because he, I think he's ousted his father by this point, and he sits there and so. Sort of, 
so smiles awkwardly like hello and I, I was just waiting for someone to dub over that clip with hello Clarice <laughs> <laughs> like he looks so a little bit forced but and goofy but still an entertaining look in terms of like hello I'm, I'm here I'm 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 super. I'm a super nice guy. <laughs> um, th- this is also one of Ronnie's. Um, I mean, he'd be working for a couple of years now, but uh, it's it's an early work, um, and it's 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 nice that um, to see him return a little bit of a harder cop action frame. Uh, frame. He did a movie called The Servants. I believe it's co-directed. Also, a really good movie called The Savior in the early eighties. And then he started playing in a variety of genres. Um, he did Postman. Postman fights back which is an action piece giant fat is in it uh, but also supernatural stuff with the trail uh, ken chang and ricky hoy and then uh, just before this uh his uh, alan tam sort of psychological uh, thriller mummy dearest that was ronnie's as well where, where alan tam got to play a little bit more of a brooding uh, psychological um disturbed person and that was also very uh, efficient so uh, it's a nice sort of variety before Ronnie you sort of open up his canvas bright with white hair phantom lover style and uh, started making these uh, movies and then later fearless and things like that so uh, it, it's an enjoyable uh, development and uh, and he he made the movie the movie that, that it was supposed to be really and uh, even though the action isn't wall to wall which I think I don't know if it is a problem to people but uh, it, it is sporadic and then more towards the latter latter section of the film but uh, there are some small quick moments that are impressive like uh, michael wong's uh, baseball bat beating he's uh, on the receiving end of that and he gets a kick to the face at one point which is like an effective piece of stunt direction by mang hoi you know so it doesn't need to be about 10 minutes of big moments sometimes it's just like ooh. To the face, yeah, yeah and ah, and and those moments stick with you. So I uh, I don't mind a sporadic burst of action, but I recognize that you you don't get a a constant gunplay movie here necessarily. I recognize that, and no. Ro- Ronnie and Mang Hoi saves the best for uh, the last twenty minutes for sure. So was that ever s- something you sat there noticing? Like I, I haven't seen uh, action; I've seen more drama, really. Yeah, exactly. I think that's you know when I first watched it, and you you do especially with the the build up as you did at the time and stuff, thinking back, it was, you know, Brandon Lee versus Bolo. Oh my God, I can't wait. Then it was literally over in like, you know, less than 30 seconds. You're like, ah, yeah, you want You did want more action. He does make up for it, obviously at the end, because the, that's the finale is brilliant. But yeah, you were, you were after more, you wanted more from it. I appreciate it more now. Cause I know going into it, that it wasn't that kind of film and understanding a bit more around it. And it obviously it's, heroic bloodshed uh, film rather than a martial arts film i wonder how that would have been in this it was 1986 uh, yeah, yeah. were they aiming to make like a in the line of duty style martial arts movie uh, obviously they weren't making kung fu but i i, I always wondered that uh, if it would have worked out if they had gone with the full-on yeah if brandon had said no let's go all out and stuff i reckon yeah we would have been a more of a call of duty kind of line of duty that kind of that kind of film that because Donnie yes did. madam was out by this point yeah. and, and and yes madam mixed elements are uh, well i thought yeah exactly um and i think it would have been but i think the brandon didn't want it to be that way so you know it, it wasn't it but and it works 
Ronnie was very clever in what he did with just putting those little, little bits of action in, and you know, you know, there's a you go the prison scene. There's little fights in there. There, there was little beats to it here and there and stuff. Um, but um, kept it obviously fully in the heroic bloodshed kind of genre. So, and it, like I say, you appreciate that now at the time, probably not. I was probably more disappointed way back then because you wanted it to be a full on kind of fight fest or, you know, a sort of a maybe a police story kind of thing or I don't know. But it, it created something that, you know, stood on its own two feet and stuff. And I've always loved the heroic bloodshed uh, genre anyway now. So it, it kind of, I appreciate it for what it is rather than. Um, what it could have been, perhaps. I mean, I mean, the rage in question, dramatically, I think it looks good on Brandon as he goes into a prison, changes his looks, look to a degree. I really like like the look they give him and uh, that uh, he, um, in, in, you know, the, again, following the straight line through action and drama and Ronnie Yu continues to do that with Brandon and uh, and we even get uh, Mang Hoi here as the token little inmate that you think is going to be pushed around, but he's actually quite resourceful and confident to a degree. I always enjoyed uh, Mang Hoi as an actor too, so uh, he, he's comfortable doing that. Uh, for IFD fans, you can spot um, Stuart Smith and the likes of Louis Roth amongst the Western uh, prisoners uh, here in the uh, prison scene. I think there, there's a couple of more IFD and Filmark leads here too, which makes sense because they were in Hong Kong at that time and they got lead roles in those movies with the ninja movies and here they they get uh, appearances uh, here in the background so that's uh, uh, quite uh, quite cool as i said it's not meant to be dramatically poignant but uh, it all of this as as ronnie builds it that they are spring they're decent springboards dramatically and for the genre elements even though those genre elements being action mainly is done in a spread out manner but it, it's engaging because uh, the mood is straight it's uh, dramatically poignant no but uh, dramatically sound and told yes so uh, it's one of those hong kong movies that uh, fo- focuses on that and on its strengths towards the ending rather than multiple set pieces because it's it's mainly like an action thriller so it's okay to be talking and dramatically as you build towards an action climax that doesn't make the movie stray it's not like oh my god gunplay doesn't belong here no i think it does uh, it's 1986 <laughs> exactly. and we've uh, and we've built up we've built up uh, towards revenge and revenge is going to come with uh, things that go kablooey and things that go and things that go spot 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 absolutely fine in terms of that uh, it's not ronnie you doing a disservice to the material i think it's ronnie you and the makers understanding what kind of movie they're gonna make you know, at the, at the end of the day, you're making a film that's there's there's a building towards a dramatic climax, which is going to be a shootout. And and to do that, you you have to have all the beats in the film to get there. And you've got all those. You've got the revenge. You've got um, the buddy hookup. You've you've got the uh, journey that that person needs to go on. And ultimately, you've got uh, even a more bigger sucker punch to deal with but all the beats are there to make it to get to that point where you're rooting for that character to you know just kill michael wong just just kill him kill him <laughs> kill him he's a bastard kill him so he works so if if you believe that michael wong is the the baddest of the bad and stuff and you want him to be killed uh, and you want brandon to do it then they've, they've done it right and stuff i mean there's um before we even get there and stuff there's a nice little um 
exchange between them when uh, Michael just apparently turns up at a petrol station and Brandon's just come out of prison and stuff and he turns up unexpectedly and they have a little conversation and he's like, and you can see like the hatred on, on Brandon's face and stuff and you can see Michael's like, oh God, he's battle going to have to sort him out now. And you know from there at that point on, so it's got those little beats in the film that, that just gives you that prompt that, here we go. Here, here it's coming. It's, we're coming towards it. We're building it up towards the uh, the finale. We know we're going to get there. We know we're going to get something. And he is serviceable, Michael, as he advances in the ranks and orchestrates events. But I don't know. I, I was looking for a little bit more believable snarl. Granted, he, he's he's not a terrific actor, but it's an early role too. Yes, like, he, he doesn't have a lot of experience by this point. But where he he went full Wong in other roles whether you like it or not uh, in terms of acting uh, there's a movie that I've yet to identify and I think I need to identify it it's a fairly new movie five six years old where he snaps at his daughter or something and just call like starts calling her like you're a whore you're a fucking whore and uh, <laughs> I can just imagine that he says that in English like you're a whore you're a whore you're such a stupid whore uh, so that's full Wong if you will here it's um, it's um, he, he looks a little bit too young for the role I think in a way but uh, and, and I wanted more I, I think I, I desired a little bit bit more action participation from Michael too but um it's, it's fairly effective as it's a fairly dark film and the irrational ruthlessness that is in Michael. That's fairly effective, but I, I wanted a little bit more, so he's not uh, he's not on the side of Wong for this one. But uh, nearly there, nearly there, but not fully. I, I think the start of the movie becomes really the, the action elements technically for the last 20-30 minutes with, with some really exceptional uh, scenes here. There's some automatic machine gun fire in a chicken house chicken coup but but thankfully not outlaw brothers style uses of chickens you remember outlaw brothers where frankie chan the director killed a bunch of them on screen (laughs) and here it seems like they startled them more than anything but it's a it's a messy chaotic uh, scene but uh, i find the uh, the card jousting of this movie really impressive car stunts and pyrotechnics and flips the physical flips and explosions there's a particular beat in this scene where one of the cars is launched from a 45 degree angle and then ends up uh, up and down on its roof yeah. i really like that launch because obviously they, they they have a device there that needs to launch the car in a particular manner to flip um, uh, rather than just blowing the shit up yeah. <laughs> no, and Blackie Co and his uh, crew, they are really do some exceptional work here in terms of this. And d- this isn't a finale finale. This is leading up to it. So here we got uh, Brandon with a shotgun and a big box of shotgun shells. And this noise is uh, really appealing and not terribly difficult to wait for. Uh, especially if you know the movie, it's not difficult at all. But I don't think I ever felt antsy in terms of like get me some action sometime soon and finally it has arrived yeah there was there was beats in there enough to to quell your thirst so to speak i do believe in and people probably still cite ah actually but there should have been more there should have been more fight scenes there should have been more you know and less guns and stuff but for the purpose of the film and the and the film that it became and stuff i think it's it's it it's spot on um and like i say blacky code it's just excellent stunt work. I mean, the, the car chases are, you know, excellent for the time. So the flips, you know, did something more than just, you know, a few cars, you know, being bashed into and stuff. They they, they thought about that, the build-up to, you know, actually getting to the mansion. So, yeah, no, it was good work. 
and the pyrotechnics uh, they look uh, they look big and mm. uh, i don't know anything about this fi- these things but if tnt is like irresponsible to use on film yeah. uh, uh, but it looks big and it looks great yeah, it's big. if you look at the explosions they are proper big explosions those are not like if i were taking that's Stand like back. use the tnt they literally must have used the tnt yeah, it's fucking brilliant courtesy <laughs> of the british army yeah when he said that in the commentary oh my god i was like yes this is just proper one for hong kong filmmaking I think he shocked Mike to to a degree when he told that story. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. I bet, yeah. It was said that uh, the British Army had like enough explosives in that storage to blow up Hong Kong like tenfold. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yes, we got some spray. Can we use some of that to blow some stuff up? Yeah, there you go. Imagine going to the British military. Any chance we can borrow some of your... Uh... No, I don't think so. It, it's on an island of... Uh, I don't have the name of the island now, but obviously they, 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 they don't keep the storage in the middle of Hong Kong, obviously, but yeah. uh, that's uh, that's the island that doubled for the prison as well. So, um, I, Some fantastic brutality towards the end. Uh, you know, not just uh, the uh, action that requires a lot of scripts, uh, bloody scripts to be rigged up, but like some back-of-your-head headbutts with bloody results. That That's really, really cool. And... Uh, Yes, Michael is here and he's the heinous villain, but I, I wanted more. I wanted him to do a bit more. I wanted more snarl and hatred, and uh, I didn't really get that. There was a few beats missing there. Uh, I wanted Alex Mann, essentially. but uh, You did, didn't you? You can't shake that, can you? You can't shake it. You can't shake it. I, I, I didn't. I, I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed um, the the end of him. I'm not giving that away too much. But um, the, the final show, I didn't mind The villain dies. I, I, like, what a surprise. Yeah. I uh, I love the build up to it. I, I love the fact that obviously they have this massive head that they're shooting through and stuff. I don't know how they were shooting them when they're behind that massive head, but still, um, they were shooting them, which was great and stuff. And obviously, Brandon walks away from that when he's used all his uh, uh, ammo up and stuff, and has a quick um, a couple of fights here and there. One being, and um, there's a dramatic piece of music that goes with it, where he literally lifts a guy up on the end of his fist and stuff, which is just so which is such a great scene. I'm going to have to gift the hell out of it and stuff and put it online. It's brilliant. And there's a nice musical beat to, um, to emphasize that punch as well. And like I said, so there's a bit of, um, a bit of that going on, um, which is great. And, and really, you, you know what you didn't see in this movie? And, and I guess that was a conscious result. You didn't see two gun action, but you saw two Uzi. Yes, action. Uzi action. We, yeah. Which makes it stand out. They didn't use Uzis that much in Hong Kong movies, to be honest. Not not in this sort of main way, front and center type of way. Shotguns, yeah, and stuff like that. But it, it's a little choice, I suppose. But still, it makes it stand out. And uh, it, it, there, there, there's no slow motion, really, in the film. It's just bunch of shooting and uh, knee kneecaps shot out and stuff exactly that's what makes it so unique as well if you look at it from that perspective when he made a film that he wrote bloodshed from without mate with all the without all the beats of a heroic bloodshed film as we might know it or if you explain to someone that doesn't understand that terminology what's heroic bloodshed everybody will go well most people will go two guns possibly doves flying everywhere and slow motion and there's none of that in this movie. And let's take the doves out. And, you know, but you know what I mean. You're right. It's two Uzis and stuff. It's um, but it's still a heroic bloodshed movie. He made his own and and brilliantly done. And you know, both Brandon, Michael, they they take a lot of bullets as well. My God, I tell you what, the the human body can take lots of bullets. 
Um, it's brilliant, the finale. Um, I just love that. It just goads him into shooting him um, as well. So, And, you know, by that point, it was entirely forgivable for me anyway, that the character relationships aren't as strong as the melodrama suggests. You know, characters die, but it isn't. They, they try to make it affecting, but I ultimately don't think they were trying to outdo John's sort of... Uh, dramatic depth in his yeah, movies exactly. uh, you know so it, it's it's more so token standard melodrama it's it, it's fine but uh, it's pre- it prevented you 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 know i didn't shed a tear for the heroes in this one you know <laughs> Aww, can really? i shed snow tears <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it just i i know and i love that the finale of the movie there's uh, it, it sticks with me, and it always has stuck with me as one of those and stuff. Um, and it's it's still as good today to watch it, and, and that's testament to a film that's um, thirty years old. Jesus, is it that old? It, it stands up really well. So, you know, if if people haven't seen it, they should do um, for all the all the reasons. Um, and for me, for this for this film, and we're talking Michael Wong. It's it's a it's a Wong. It's his what third or fourth film that he made and stuff. So, you know, for for all the the chatter about it, I think he did a, a really good a really good job. I mean, he, he corresponds to to the demands of the role, uh, but uh, I, I I I was missing a little bit of intensity, a little bit of aggressiveness, and uh, so I, I was on the fence. It was me on the fence. I was on the fence, but uh, he leans more towards wrong. But uh, he's uh, not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, not at all. There are movies where Michael isn't good, believe me, and uh, the movie the movie suffers for it. Uh, <laughs> but we, maybe we'll get to that because I, I I haven't mapped out the entire series. I don't know exactly what nine movies to cover, but I want I want the series to have you know examples of what he brings and maybe what he doesn't bring. But here was a start, and I think uh, you wisely suggested Legacy of Rage because of the context that it provides, being a Brandon's only Hong Kong movie and uh, and uh, a very unique uh, you know, unique Hong Kong movie considering what is expected out of Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee, and this is what you get instead. And good, good on him for standing his ground and making the crew develop it into this. With that context from the commentary, it makes you appreciate Legacy of Rage a whole lot more. Yeah, even more. Even more, 100%. Uh, so, uh, any other notes from you before we do the uh, DVD availability? Uh, there is. I, I can't remember where it is now because I should have made some more notes. But um, the irony is that somewhere in there, there is a line that says, uh, oh, certainly from the subtitles, uh, no place for your kind here which was directed, I think it was directed at Brandon, um, as a, a little bit of a, maybe it's a nod, uh, a tongue-in-cheek for, you know, the, the Chinese-American kind of thing, and maybe for, for Michael as well and stuff, and recognition of that and stuff. But I thought that was kind of a, a poignant line that was in there and obviously done quite intentionally. So that was interesting. Uh, so as for availability then, uh, it, it's a bit elusive currently, but the U.S. Shout Factory DVD is worth getting. Uh, maybe you can get it. You you can get it on eBay for you're gonna pay a little bit extra, but not the inflated prices. It's worth getting because it has an exclusive audio commentary with director Ron Yu uh, and Mike Leader, as uh, Phil mentioned. It's uh, it's quite a good mixture of uh, screen specific and Mike asking relevant questions about the conception and the making of and uh, the cast and crew. So. They, they, 
the two interact well and they, they did a really good job painting a picture of the making of legacy of rage so uh, it's worth getting that if you're on the uk side though and uh, want to go on amazon and get something tomorrow i suppose so uh, you you can get a uk blu-ray from medium rare it's uh, it's available and affordable it doesn't look like it has any extras however and i, I don't know the um, the quality of the transfer or the audio on that one but uh, there is a blu-ray available and shout factory has that commentary exclusively and perhaps they they're not keen on licensing stuff necessarily certainly didn't do to medium rare or medium rare possibly was released before uh, don't know by this point but uh, uh, you can get uh, both if you do a little uh, uh, shopping on amazon and uh, have a little peek on uh, ebay and you, you you'll find a copy that's uh, worth it uh, because uh, the value of the commentary is actually quite um, hefty for for this release and and it, it it's the fortune star remastered dvd print and it looks uh, looks uh, absolutely fine and uh, there is a uh, there's cantonese mono i don't remember if the english dub was mono 5.1 or if you had both on the shout factory dvd but the english is on there regardless if you if you want to see the movie that way so that's us for this episode only one because we had a lot of info to deliver but next time we'll pair up royal warriors with something the plan was to have royal warriors with this uh, episode too but i thought it was gonna run a bit long and i wanted um, i wanted i don't know it to be digestible because we had the background that you delivered and the biography and then the full discussion of the movie so one movie for this episode but uh, we're gonna get to nine eventually and uh, deliver a wrong or wong and uh, god help me if i end up on the wrong side what if one of us is wong and one of us is wrong but you want to be wong oh, i might be wrong god damn it i want to be i want to be on the airways you'll be wong Oh, I tell you what, I'll just be confused by all and stuff. I mean, even in hindsight, we're with George Lamb, like when one of us was and one of us was wasn't. I don't harbor any hatred for <laughs> for my deci- for for him or my decision, but it's just like, well, ultimately in the record books, you're, you're lame, but yeah. I love you anyway. I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love your wife more, but I love you still. George. Wow! Yes. So that's us for this episode. Uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs, including uh, the back catalog of podcast on fire and all our actor discussions, we got a nice little note on Instagram where someone expressed that they really liked our director series, but also this this actors series, if you will. So uh, well, well done, Phil, for for the contributions that you make to it because uh, they matter. Well, I'd I'd also like to thank you, Ken, as well for turning up. He's been quite useful in this um, this production. M- money checks changing hands underneath the table and then we go our separate ways uh, in- into our uh, into our respective uh, uh, corners of hatred yeah <laughs> we don't talk before the podcast and then the, the podcast ha- happens real, ladies and gentlemen the rage is real the legacy of rage that is the podcast on fire network and their participants their hosts so <laughs> no 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 uh, but at any rate uh, uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs podcast on fire.com follow the social media links in the show post and subscribe to us uh, on uh, apple podcasts and stream us on stitcher radio on spotify and all that good stuff phil you get a full healthy wealthy plug of your site so uh, uh what are you, uh, you you're gonna pursue pursue uh, uh work in 2020 again and go out and see people and see movies and document it as you have in video form and things like that yeah yeah i'm gonna do some more of that there's more festival the work's being started by uh sue blesser and the team already so there'll be some more of that going around so 
Um, so there'll be some more love fest and some more videos for you lucky people. Who knows who will come this time? I don't know, but we'll get around to that. So that'll be uh, fun and games next year and stuff. Um, and as we look towards next year and stuff, I'm going to put some, I'm going to dedicate more of my time to my beloved subjects of uh, Eastern films. Um, and I'm trying to get, I'm going to do something um, a little bit special and stuff. I'm going to keep that under wraps because I need to do it. Um, but um, yes, so I'm going to, I'm going to put some more time in, um, uh, but I'll still be doing those uh, interviews and stuff. And hopefully I'll be uh, carrying on with the series with you and podcasting my, my little voice off. Um, on these so yeah if you enjoy it just stop by and um, obviously give us a, a like or send us a shout and um, yeah I, I look forward to it and yeah we'll be keeping up with the interviews on uh, Eastern Film Fans across uh, Facebook, Twitter, my website and uh, Instagram so yeah Fingers crossed uh, uh, for an interview with Michael Wong whilst uh, whilst in the air or something like that <laughs> Yeah that would be really cool while he's, while he's flying the plane What? What's that? He's flying a plane. Wait, he's still finished. Sticks it on autopilot. He's got time, hasn't he? Come on. He's not doing anything. Just, you know, looking at some instruments and making sure he's flying in the right direction. Must be, you know, easy peasy. Supping on some champagne. Good times, man. Good times. <laughs> yeah, that, that's responsible. Yeah. <laughs> he's, drisky, he drinking, he's drinking his old MW uh, whiskey. <laughs> I'll see. Uh, let's see what I can do. I don't know. Anybody got the address for Michael Wong? Just tune in to the Airways of Love, man. Yeah, Airways of Love, apparently. Mm. Yeah, that's science. That works. Well, okay. Yeah, that's the te- technical science. Uh, you you get him, like, you get a CB radio and find the Airways of Love. I love it. Cool. Well, uh, f- thank you, regardless, uh, Phil, for uh, taking this trip down uh, uh, Legacy of Rage Memory Lane and uh, for getting this series off the ground. We'll be back uh, hopefully soon with uh, a selection of uh, Royal Warriors and something after that. I haven't decided yet. So, But uh, in the meantime, I've been uh, Kenobi and with me was Phil G. So sign off and uh, do your best. Uh, do your best. Uh, Michael Wong, Airways of Love, uh, karaoke rendition now. i'd love to i've never i've never listened to it i don't want to i'm not going to i refuse to i know i didn't want to i thought i'd leave that to the end of the conversation because i didn't want to ruin it for you but i'm trying to stay away from it damn right we're gonna karaoke together (laughs) (laughs) god damn it